well, silly them, because really the only way to win D&D is to break the DM. Or break your players, I guess, depending on which seat. I tell my players that I am not above bribery all the time. <laughs> and... Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, folks. Thank you guys so much for listening in. Today we have a really special guest. We have Matt Traversa. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited for this. How long have you been DMing? Uh, DMing, I have been DMing on and off. Uh, oh, God. I have to do math, and that's not fair. Uh, <laughs> um, you're a DM. You're used to it. Over 15 years. Oh, wow. You've been DMing for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, started, I started in 3.5. I actually started as a player in 3.5 and uh, was like, oh, my God, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. And uh, my first... I got, I have to, this is testing my memory, but I believe my first campaign that I ran was the Hallowed King. Ooh. Uh, I think is what it was called. I've never heard of that one. Something. But I'm a D&D baby, so my yeah, it was, doesn't really count for much. <laughs> for anyone who knows what I'm talking about that is listening, I'm probably butchering the actual name of it. <laughs> But it has something to do with the Hallowed King. It was, it was. Uh, I know the second adventure in this series was the Spire. That one I know for a fact because it's a very simple name. But well, it was the first one in that your series. Email at the bottom in the description so they can, everybody can email you the correction. <laughs> oh, awesome, awesome! Because you know, there's not enough of that in the world. <laughs> right. Here comes the internet hate. <laughs> uh, what? So you, so you started in three point five. Which one are you, are you currently playing in or DMing in? Uh, fifth edition. Fifth edition? Yes. Yep. How many different tabletop RPGs have you played? Ooh, man. Um, I think seven or eight. Whoa. Over my time. Um, some of them have been really good. Some have been... See, the weird thing with, with tabletop RPGs is like people always put them in this category of good and bad. Mm-hmm. I've never experienced a bad RPG, just one that wasn't in my wheelhouse. That's a good outlook on it. If that, yeah, because like there's some, um, like there's one out there that is expertly written and is is a fantastic RPG. It's just not one that's in my wheelhouse because it's very, it's very crunchy, very, very rules heavy, mm-hmm. but it's also, you progress by failing upwards. It's a zombie survival type game. Ooh. Yeah, it's like a uh, post-apocalyptic, uh, it's called Outbreak Undead. It's a fantastic RPG. I encourage anyone who enjoys horror survival to check it out because they actually include a mechanic that works really, really well where you can create yourself in the game. And there's actually rules and mechanics that take into account your own personal knowledge. That sounds really intense and kind of brain-breaking. It is. It is super, super intense. If you love intense stuff like that, I highly encourage it. It was a little too much for me just rules-wise to keep track of. I tried as a player and as a game master, I was just a little heavy. But for those who enjoy that stuff, I highly recommend it. I am terrible at math. And in our campaign, we have somebody who's really good at math. And I just yell at him like, what's 19 plus three? (laughs) (laughs) We have a few of those around our, our table, too. It happens to everyone. <laughs> I'm, I'm like sitting there panicking, like using all of my fingers every time. Right. <laughs> so 
So since you play so many different games, do you prefer homebrew or module? Homebrew. Absolutely homebrew. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, and it's not a knock against modules because I've, I've ran, I actually just finished running curse of Strahd. We've, uh, they fought, Strahd this past Saturday we had our final campaign and it was a blast I love DMing it I have a great group um my, my fiance included among them and so it's it was a lot of fun but the thing uh, the thing that the reason why I prefer homebrew is because when you're running a module there's only so much flexibility in story and things that you can do when you're running a homebrew your players go completely off the rails there's nothing stopping you from running with that yes Yes. So I'm currently running Curse of Strahd. Okay. I, but I'm in the very beginning. They're currently escorting Irina to Kresk. Oh, yes, yes. And so I'm, I'm super in the beginning, but I, they did just finally get to meet Strahd for the first time. And it was beautiful. I put them in this whole situation where, like, it didn't matter what they picked. It was wrong. Like, there was no right choice. And... Ooh. Then Strahd showed up to like rub whatever choice they made in their faces, like rub salt in the wounds. And it was mm. glorious. I, so Curse of Strahd is my first campaign, but I think, and I've recently started doing some extras as well. And uh, they're all homebrew. And I think I definitely prefer homebrew. I like to, like, I don't want to have to remember somebody else's work. Yeah. Like yeah. the castle. There are 76 rooms in that castle. <laughs> Yeah, the castle is insane. Um, <laughs> uh, one one thing I, as a a uh, DM who just got who finished finished running it, two points of advice for you. The first one is there is you may know what I'm talking about, so I don't give too much away in case any of your players are listening. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know of the uh, Dragon Skull? Yes. Okay. Do yourself a favor, plan an encounter for them so that they can get that bonus before getting to the castle. Because the stupid thing is, once it, it does not matter who you are as a player, once you get to Castle Ravenloft, you are that close to finding Strahd and taking him down, you're not going to stop. So why would you give that benefit? It's the one thing in the campaign I didn't understand and the module didn't understand. Why would you give that benefit two players like that quest that at that point they're not even going to bother completing yeah yeah that makes sense yeah so like i my players i threw they actually pulled the card where they had to go to argon vostholt for one of the artifacts so i threw a skeletal dragon at them when they uh, when they were there <laughs> and that's how they got it i'm writing all of these things <laughs> go for it absolutely go for it it was so, yeah I, I'm definitely trying to change it. I'm using a lot of, um, like I found some people on YouTube who kind of have modified things and I'm using most of the stuff that they do because I like it. Yeah. Also, then it just kind of takes it away from the book and it makes it more, it feels like more like my baby and my yes. camp, less, you know, reading what somebody else wrote. But also if you improv it, then I don't have to have it 100% planned out. I don't have to know how many mongrel folk are in the next room. Right. I can just improv it as I go. <laughs> right. No, absolutely. And you don't have to sit there and, and also keep track of, because one thing I'm really bad about is if I didn't create the NPC and they wind up traveling with the party, I forget about them. If they're not my NPC, if I did not create it, 
I always forget they're with them. <laughs> yes, I did that in the first one. They were like, oh, well, what is Father Whatever doing this whole time? And I was like, I forgot that he was even there. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> he's just staring in awe at what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't know that i mean they probably did because i'm a terrible yeah. liar i'm the, <laughs> like like i'm emotionally ripping them apart smiling the whole time <laughs> <laughs> i look like a monster <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's good <laughs> for that campaign that's good <laughs> <laughs> so since you like homebrew more where do you draw your inspiration from Oh man, so many sources, so many. So prime example actually of where my sources come from. A handful of years ago, I um, had the opportunity to run a campaign. I think it was about a three and a half year long campaign. And it was in a world I completely came up with from the ground up. And I took different pieces of different lore from fantasy novels I've read. I injected... So one thing I did do is I took like pieces of different modules and injected them into different missions that they were given, different adventures they were going on. Ooh. And so that was like, uh, so, so the, whole, the whole overarching campaign that they eventually uh, discovered was that this NPC that they were escorting around at the very beginning who was just this total pain in the ass to them. And I did it intentionally. Like they were, they hated having to drag this girl around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's the worst six months in D and D that they've ever had. As far as dealing with this NPC. But <laughs> once they finally got her to the, the smoldering mountain, which is where the, the Dwarven home was, they find out that she's actually a descendant of one of the original founders of this continent who can speak an archaic language. Oh. And I actually, I kind of took, it was a Lord of the Rings, Dragonheart, wanting to make a female the hero <laughs> type of spin I put on it. Oh, I like that. So yeah, I kind of draw from everywhere. I languages for me tend to be such a pain in the butt. I recently ran a thing where one of the characters was like, well, I made myself where I speak all these languages. I speak over 10, I speak 10 languages. And I was like, okay, great. And I was trying to describe this beautiful ruined castle. And I was just trying to like make it look pretty. And I was like, there's all these wonderful hieroglyphs. And he was like, I want to read them. I was like, okay, well, it's a language you don't understand. Okay, I cast comprehend languages. And I was like, they're just meant to be pretty hieroglyphs. What do you want from me? So- I have had players like that. So there's uh, in my 15 years of DMing, one thing I've learned is you're going to encounter all different types of players. Mm -hmm. And there's this, and it, this is actually a lesson I very recently learned. And I'm incredibly grateful that I have the players I have because I learned from this from one of them. People generally, when they hear the term min maxer, it's generally a negative connotation. Uh-huh. To, to any any RPG, any any anything that is uh, role playing esque, um, but that doesn't necessarily inherently mean that they're not going to role play or that 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 they're just going to suck the joy out of the table. 
And the way you can kind of allow them to be that kind of player, still draw them into the world and circumvent stuff like that is using your, your situation as an example is, you know, you're talking about these beautiful hieroglyphics. I cast comprehend languages instead of, you know, just saying, well, you can't read it. You know, tell them, well, you, you, you cast a spell and it takes effect and you start to see the hieroglyphics change and manipulate before your eyes. But halfway through the transformation, it just stops. And the language, it's a language, but you, the spell is trying to help you comprehend it, but it's, it is beyond even the reach of your archaic abilities. Ooh, that's smart. I pulled some super random cheesy phrase out of my butt and I was like, <laughs> rises with the sun and chases the moon. Uh, that would have, see, this is why yeah. I love doing these interviews. <laughs> I learn so much. <laughs> like if you do something like that where you allow them to use that skill, but do it in a narrative way where you say it, where like, you know, it's, it's outside of your archaic capabilities or, you know, uh, if it's a strength check of some sort, you know, it's, it's built in such a way that even an ogre couldn't get through or like just different things like that so that they still feel part of the world and like they're using their character's abilities, but they don't feel like you're hindering them or you're, you're punishing them for min-maxing essentially. Do you feel like out of all of the, like, do you have one of those like all time favorite NPCs? I do actually. Uh-huh. I, well, okay. Not an NPC. It's actually a player character. A, a okay. character that I played that I absolutely fell in love with. And I still bring back as an NPC to this day. He was a kobold storm sorcerer. Ooh. Uh, his name was Scritch Scratch. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. He, uh, he's dumb as a box of rocks. So the thing about kobolds is they don't understand euphemism or metaphor or simile. Like they're very, very literal. And when I read that, I was like, oh my God, I want to make him a magic user. And the world I was playing in uh, was actually a homebrew world uh, and it was steampunk. Okay. okay. Uh, so we used, we used the D&D 5e system and made a steampunk world around it. Nice. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and the kobolds in that world were basically like Aztecian, and they they were very very much like the gods' will type type of mentality. So even though he was a sorcerer, he believed his powers came from a deity. And there was one particular event where the cleric was communing with her deity, and she she had drawn a circle of symbols and that and sat in it. And I was like, I want to help. And so I started scratching symbols in the ground. <laughs> My DM had roll check. I rolled a natural one. My modifier is a negative two. So it was a negative one. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> and he's dying laughing. And he just goes, uh, so you basically scratch into the dirt a recipe for roasted chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Those are always my downfall characters or like when other, whenever I get to be a player and the DM creates a character that is so terrible or if they're super ugly or if they have like just this super weird mm-hmm. voice, I love them. I love them. I adopt them. Yes. I want them to be mine. 
and I is gonna get me in so much trouble because the DMs know as a person, as Natalie, <laughs> it is my weakness and it is going to get my favorite characters killed. <laughs> in Curse of Stride, um, so we have me playing around Christmas, and I uh, gifted my players each one magical item that was Christmas-themed, minor items, or like a wondrous item. And one of them was a snow globe. You, You have to shake it for a minute, but once you shake it, a cabin pops out. And it, it is big enough to fit the party. Well, it also comes with a gnome servant named Jinkles. That's adorable. And <laughs> oh my my players fell in love with Jinkles. Anytime shit got really real and really tough, they'd just go in the cabin and talk to him and they all felt better. <laughs> So did you have it kind of work like uh, uh, Mordekainen's Magnificent Mansion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was kind of the same, except it only lasted 12 hours. Mm-hmm. And once it was used, it couldn't be used for 24 hours. Oh, oh, so they got to use it like once every day and a half. Oh, it's so cute, though. They yep. basically got a cabin with a little Christmas elf. Yep. That's <laughs> ingenious. So circling back to what you were talking about with the, with the details and describing with the languages, do you... Yeah ever feel like you get stuck between like so like personally I struggle with like I want to I want to make it real I want to paint a picture for the players to be able to see in their mind but sometimes Mm -hmm. I get stuck too much on the little details and I don't do enough of the big details how do you proportion that out so one thing I do is I use a lot of visual aids I actually use like 3d battle maps or if it's a very important area I will have a model of it Table. Like, uh, so prime example, I'm currently uh, running the Horde of the Dragon Queen. Okay. And I am working on a model of the Hunter's Lodge that they're going to come across once they get, uh, they're, they're following, uh, those who have ran the module understand what I'm talking about. They're following the caravan right now. They're with the caravan uh, heading from Baldur's Gate to Waterdeep. Ooh. And at, once they get past that section, there is the one following the cult, uh, members of the cult, to this old uh, hunter's lodge. And I'm actually making a 3D model of it out of a uh, foam board because there's going to be a lot of encounters in there, but it's also a very prominent place. And I want them to be able like, to physically see it. So you use that so that way it's less that you have to do describing the room and more you can describe what they're doing. Right. Oh, that's so smart. I really like to make props mm-hmm. for my Me too. So like I went and got these little vials where I put like Gatorade and like red Gatorade and edible food gl- edible food glitter in it. So it's health potions. And so they can shake uh-huh. them up oh, and like awesome. actually they look so good and they're so easy to make. They look so pretty though. So that way like they like instead of being like my character does this, they can actually drink the potions and i like to make the spell scrolls which is really dumb because then it makes me shed a tear every time they use a spell scroll and they just rip crumble up all the work that i did there is uh so we actually those of us in our group were rotating uh dming as well Oh. Um, so, so I, like I said, I literally just finished Curse of Stride. The, the next DM is actually taking over 
Um, he's doing like a half homebrew, half module, but he won't tell us which module because we know them all. So <laughs> it's a half homebrew, half module um, taking place the moment they leave Barovia. So it's literally with the same characters. Uh, I think one person is switching out, but it's with the same characters and just continuing on. That's really cool. We did a Call of Cthulhu recently and only one person survived because, you know, it's Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. And they're playing again this weekend and she's going to reuse that character. Oh, that's awesome. Which I feel like would just be terrible. That game was ridiculous. I got so scared. I broke a necklace I was wearing. Because <laughs> we it was like set in the 20s and we all, yeah, I don't yeah. know if they're all set in the 20s, but ours was set in the 20s. And we all dressed up for it. Oh, that's so much fun. It was amazing. We dress up for so, so many of our games because they're all online. And so it just makes it more fun if you get to dress up. But I did. I had like a string of pearls and I just shattered the whole thing. Oh, my God. The DM was so good. He's amazing. Circling back on real quick, the point I was getting at with that other DM is he actually found artwork for Spell Scrolls. Oh. Online. And these things are beautiful so what are some big player no-nos from you like whether it's like cell phones at the table or overly metagaming like is there like certain things that you're just like hey man that's enough yes so at our table there are three rules and they're very easy to follow okay um but you'd be surprised how many people have a hard time following them (laughs) (laughs) but rule number one is everyone at the table is equal we're all here to play. We're all here to have a good time. Uh, you know, everyone everyone is welcome at my table. And if you can't jive with that, then you shouldn't be sitting here. Mm-hmm. Rule number two is have fun with it. If something doesn't work out or, you know, a spell goes wrong, you know, that's part of it. D&D is the most fun when shit goes tits up. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, yeah. so it, that, it, that's what it comes out to. Some of my second rule is just roll with the punches. Don't get hung up on stuff that doesn't work. You know, don't get mad because the spell didn't work. You know, roll with it. And my third and ultimate rule is DM's word is final, but always fair. A lot, a lot of DMs stop at DM's word is final. I, I, I add that addendum to it because, yeah, my word is final, but there's times where, you know, as a DM, I've made the mistake and ruled something and my players will be like, well, hang on. You know, I get that ruling. Here's why I don't agree with it. And they'll bring up a really good point. I'll go, wow, I just almost completely shafted you. Let's fix that. <laughs> that's, that's very fair of you to like listen yeah. and instead of just being like slam down the gavel. Oh yeah, no, for, for sure. Cause like I'm on both sides of the screen. I'm a player and a DM. And so when it comes down to it, you know, I would want a DM that's willing to hear me out. So I'm going to do the same thing. Like, because there's times where I've been ruled, like been ruled against and just kind of was left sitting there like, well, there's a really good reason why I disagree with this because it's going to completely counteract a whole lot of other things people are doing, but the the DM doesn't see it that way. Cause that screen tends to, tends to block your quote vision at times. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Especially those who might struggle with, like, it can almost kind of feel like a power trip at times as well. Yes. You know, I mean, that may sound narcissistic, but 
I mean, it can be, it can be. So if you don't have that checks and balances kind of thing, it could very easily get out of hand. Exactly. Exactly. That was, I mean, luckily I learned, I kind of learned by watching Critical Role. That's how I learned how to play D&D. And so like I saw their whole, the way they questioned and went with things and yeah, it, it helped me learn that at least until I could get around other players. Cause I didn't play first. I just started DMing. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm insane. Yeah, you are. Like <laughs> I, I'm the type of person I cannot sit there and read a rule book and have it stick. Like I actually have to play the game and learn as I go. So I had to start as a player. There's no way I could have started as a DM. Well, I had a group of friends who were like, hey, Natalie, let's play D&D. And I was like, no, man, that sounds kind of nerdy. I don't think so. And then they were like, but it's creative storytelling. And I was like, damn it, I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) And then we were looking for a DM and they had talked about some of the people. And I was like, I just don't really know. I think I might sit it out. Mm -hmm. And then I started, I was like, well, what if I learned how to DM? And they were like, Okay, and so for Christmas, they all pitched in and got me a Curse of Stride, a player's handbook, and the DM guide. And so I spent like two months just cram, (laughs) like nothing but D&D trying to cram it in my brain to learn how to play before we started our campaign. (laughs) And and now here I am, like it literally consumes my life. I spend all day getting to interview fantastic DMs. I get to plan this phenomenal campaign with all these other DMs. And it's just, it's literally all I do now is D&D. Yep, that, that is exactly what happens. <laughs> My poor fiance, like when we started, he was like, hey, this might be really, cause I don't play video games either. And so he was mm-hmm. like, maybe this would be really good for us. Like it could be a thing that we do together. We have a thing and now, it has just taken over everything. And he was like, I didn't expect you to go this far into it. I'm like, well, we are here. (laughs) (laughs) So if you could go back in time to baby Matt DM, what piece Mm -hmm. of advice would you give him? Oh man. God, that's a good question. Uh, it's mostly for selfish reasons because I am that baby DM and I need to know. <laughs> oh, no, that's totally fair. I would, the one, if I, I could only give one piece of advice and then I had to poof out, it would be regardless of who's at your table, always remember to have fun. Because I, I've had so many incredible incredibly wonderful positive experiences playing D&D. I have unfortunately also had some really shit experiences playing D&D. And I I have walked away from tables before because of you know, and not for for petty reasons. I didn't agree with something the DM said or something, but just because like either it was a really toxic environment or like the DM was very clearly doing some form of gatekeeping, mm. you know, at their table. I've had players that I've had to uh, not so nicely tell them to leave the table for various reasons. Believe it or not, and I did not experience this until about two-ish years ago, I had a player actually cheat at d and I, I never thought I would, that would cross my path like it blows my mind still because of the way I view D and D I think is what it comes down to. Right. So uh, 
it's a role-playing game. It's about storytelling. It's about fiction and fantasy and escapism. You know? Um, this person was legitimately playing it like a board game. Like they were trying to win. Um, it was the weirdest thing I had ever experienced in my life. And and like I caught him like lying about dice rolls and stuff. Like we're playing at the same table, but he'd roll and he'd roll in a way that I wasn't able to see his dice sometimes. Um, and like, and he would get like really like stop the game and argue with me for 10 minutes when one little thing didn't go his way and it just it i've never experienced someone like that before and it really blew my mind that's the fun out of it it does it does that's why i would give myself that advice that no matter who's at the table remember to always have fun because if you if you remember to have fun then you're always going to be surrounded by good people well silly then because really the only way to win D is to break the dm or break your players, I guess, depending on which seat. I tell my players that I am not above bribery all the time. <laughs> and like, nobody has bought into this yet. They don't understand. I'm actually serious. <laughs> one, of my, one of my DMs just told me that I could bribe her in beer and chocolate. And I was like, but you live on the other side of the country. <laughs> <laughs> Going off that then, what is it about D&D that just constantly brings you back to the table? After 15 years, what is it that keeps bringing you back time and time again? I absolutely love, adore, cherish, and am obsessed with improv and theater and, and just creating things. Uh, I am a creationist. Uh, I actually, my true profession is I'm a design engineer by trade. Okay. So like my job is to create things. I did improv theater for better part of 10 years oh and just being able to tell these stories and bring them to life and bring these characters to life and just there's no this is going to sound terrible but bear with me <laughs> as a dm there's no better feeling then when your players get so emotionally attached either to their own characters or NPCs or the world itself that you actually bring out raw and real emotion at the table, there's no better feeling than that. It doesn't matter what the dice rolls are. It doesn't matter what the rules are. You know, that's what keeps bringing me back. You know, the escapism and just, you know, being able to, to have that creative outlet. I could not agree with that more. At least for me, it's been completely life-changing. Mm -hmm. It's it's such a surreal, and the fact that it's it's so real, but it's all pretend at the same time. Yes. Like if any of these characters in any of my campaigns were to die, I would legitimately have to go through a grieving process. Mm -hmm. But they're not real. They're made. They're pretend. Right. But it, but it's so real to us. <laughs> it, no, it is. It is. I compare it to when you're reading a really, really good book. For me, uh, immediately, the two book series that come to mind when I make this, this comparison is uh, the Harry Potter series. Mm -hmm. And for those uh, who are into the uh, literature of D&D, uh, R.A. Salvatore's Legend of Drist series. When I got into those books, I would read them constantly. And it was like when I was done and, you know, waiting to get the next book 
or just waiting to get home at the end of the day to read because I read, read these like middle school and high school it was like being excited to go home and it was so real that it was like I was excited to watch my favorite tv show or my favorite movie mm-hmm. like like you could see it in your mind so vividly and that's that's the connection I have to D&D as well do you feel like D&D can be used to help combat like mental health struggles 100 percent what 110 in fact real talk i have this tattoo on my wrist for a reason as a semicolon for those of you playing the home game yes and for those that don't know what that is uh the semicolon project was uh it started off as a social media thing when myspace was a thing which was like <laughs> I, no, don't show how old we are. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> but it was it, like, I think it was like a MySpace thing is where it started. And it just escalated into an actual like foundation. And that whole idea was you are the author of your own life. And instead of, of ending that story, take a pause with a period, take a pause with the semicolon. And so like, that really spoke to me. And the reason for my semicolon tattoo is uh, I struggle with anxiety and depression. Um, I was also a, I was very, very fortunate to be part of a youth outreach program. I actually helped start and I, from inception to the day it ended like six and a half years in Illinois as part of a wonderful youth outreach program, met a lot of wonderful kids and, you know, we all helped each other through all sorts of different things. Um, and gaming in general was a huge outlet for a lot of us, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, board games, D and D video games didn't matter. It was, it was how we all connected and it was a huge outlet and escape for us. And it is a very, very, very real and very tangible aid in helping with that. Mm-hmm. I I completely agree. I, I've definitely so one of the big things that I love about D and D is in real life you get one life to learn all the lessons that you can, but through D and D you can use all these different characters and almost live all these different lives, and it gives you this possibility to learn so many more lessons, learn mm-hmm. how to process emotions and go through different trials and tribulations to learn how to process things in your own yeah. life. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and not just process things, but it also like you can learn really valuable life lessons. Absolutely. As Absolutely. well. I definitely in some of my characters have put some of my own insecurities or situations. Uh, last year I was diagnosed with PTSD And Mm. so I've put those things into my characters to learn different ways of coping. It's easier for me to, you know, for somebody else, like I can talk about a different character going through this. I can talk about somebody else going through it when it's harder for me to talk about myself doing it. So then it, and then it also gives it a voice. So it's not something that you're hiding. You know, you're not, you're not trying to suppress depression or anxiety you know, you can use these characters to push through that and yeah. and speak about <laughs> it in, a, in an easier way if it makes you more comfortable. But that way you don't have to feel like you're going through it alone. Yeah, no, absolutely. hundred percent. No, that, that's, that's absolutely, it's a really, really great point. You know, you, 
it does give you a voice for those different different things that you deal with. Um, I, I I myself played a character that uh, was a Tabaxi rogue mm-hmm. who it was actually during a very, very difficult time in my life. And his struggle in the campaign was he was struggling to walk this path where this evil force was pulling him in one direction, but he had found this group of friends that were pulling him in the other, and it was this constant back and forth. So it was like this dark versus light type of thing. And, and you know, it helped me out, and it, it, it gave me an outlet to play those things out in a healthy manner and find my path. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad you were able to use D&D to help you with that. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I think that even if you don't struggle with mental health, then D&D is still there to teach you all of these incredible lessons about inclusivity and oh, yeah you know, and loyalty and family and all these, just all these things. I think that D&D makes people better as a person. Oh, it absolutely does. In fact, there's actually, um, (laughs) there is, if you look around online, actual like headhunters and stuff like that, if they find out that you play like D&D, some of them, there's actually ways they can take that and incorporate it into your resume and make it. and, And the thing, the the way they do it, it's legit though. Like problem solving skills, team building skills, like all these things you would never think of would come from playing a game at a table. I know a lot of companies use D and D like they'll do it as like team building exercises. Yeah. And uh, just bring them in and play a one shot. And I think that is genius. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Unfortunately I work with a bunch of old people, so none of them would want to play, but I have thought about doing that. (laughs) in south texas where D is still considered witchcraft <laughs> oh i'm oh i'm so sorry oh, <laughs> poor girl you know it's a thing we have it it's great <laughs> oh. i was actually told when i make when i started making those health potions i was telling you about that they um i was making potions i was like it's gatorade and glitter they're like but it's the thought behind it i was like oh oh no yeah, it's oh. fun it's I'm in a conservative state. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm in North Central Indiana, which is a little better, um, but it still has a long ways to go. <laughs> yeah, I'm over here like on the bars of like the outside, like let me out, there's <laughs> something. Uh, okay, so the last few questions are no longer about Matt the DM. Oh, okay. It's more about Matt the person. However, if they bleed together, it's all good. But we don't like to tell you about these beforehand so that you can panic. <laughs> oh, God. So if you could recommend a book, a TV show, and a movie. Oh, okay. Um, so book, man, that's because there's, there's a few that come to mind. But if I had to pick one, I actually just recently started reading it. One of my players turned me on to it, actually. It's the book series that the show The Dresden Files was based on. Okay phenomenal phenomenal book the way i love it because the way they approach magic use and the way they describe it and how it interacts with the human body is really neat and is giving me a lot of fuel not only as a dm but as a player if i ever play a magic user like it's gonna be a lot of really cool creative fuel and 
uh, it takes place. So basically it takes place in current day Chicago and it's what it's this alternate timeline where what would happen if people discovered that, you know, witchcraft and wizardry and demons and everything were real and exist in our world. Ooh. Yeah. It's really, really good. So it'd have to be my book series. Okay. For my TV series, let's let's make this easier. Give me a genre because there's so many I could recommend. Let's go with comedy. Comedy, um, TV series comedy. I would have to say Family Guy. I there's that show never fails to make me laugh. I've never seen a single episode. Oh my god, it is so funny. <laughs> I'm weird about comedy. Like, I'm, I'm a hit or miss when it comes to comedy, and that's just not the kind that does it for me. That's fair. That is totally fair. Everyone's got their own taste. And so movie too, right? Yeah, let's go with movie. Uh, let's see. If I had to recommend a movie, oh, man, that's a tough one. Yeah, it is. That's why okay. we save the hard ones for last. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly. Uh, I'll tell you in the beginning and give you the whole interview to think about it, but where's the fun in that? Right? You know, if I had to pick one movie that I always stop and watch if it's on is uh, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Ooh, okay, okay. Yeah. There's something about that particular one. And I know, like, there's a whole bunch of arguments about which one's the best in the trilogy. And, like, that's not what this is about. There's just something about that movie Every time it's on, I stop and watch it. I have to rewatch Lord of the Rings as an adult because I didn't like it. It scared me as a kid. The um, oh yeah, Gollum scared the bejesus out of me. Oh, <laughs> I like I would be terrified. Like it, it, he got in my head, and I was like, he's in the corner of my room. He's in the corner of my room. He's in the corner of my room. And so I, I did not finish it. I've never finished it. So, but I want to rewatch it. Like I'm a grown up now. It should be just. <laughs> and everybody says it's so good, and I get so much crap for not watching it. So it is like at the top of my to watch list. Is okay. Watch the Lord of the Rings series because I'm a grown up and I can do it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Last question. This is the most important. Oh boy. Dirty Dancing or Footloose? Oh, Dirty Dancing. Yes. Absolutely. I, I, I love Kevin Bacon. There's something about the movie Footloose though, that just like, it, it just, it just gets so boring for me. And it just, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I can't do it. I think, and, and one of the like weirdest scenes in that movie for me is the angry dancing through the empty warehouse. Like I totally get it. I get that. Like he's emotional and everything, but there was something about the cinematography in that scene that just made it weird. It's kind of like what there was a recent is Tangled. It's the Disney movie Tangled. And they it was when Disney kind of started to break that fourth wall and they were like, How does everybody know the lyrics to this song? And it's kind of like in that movie, like, how do you just randomly know where the chain's hanging that you can swing off of and it's not gonna give underneath your weight? Yeah. It's it's a little it's a little bit of a weird-ish. But I'm a musical fan, so it's, oh, so am I. I it's I should have a better like uh, standard for musicals, but I don't. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh, 
Oh, I'm in. I love it. I don't even care. <laughs> so you're just like, you're basically just like a musical trash panda. You'll consume anything that's musical. What yes. <laughs> Like my favorite is this super weird one. It's called Repo the Generic Opera. Yes. It's so fucking weird. But if, I love it so much. If you like Repo the Genetic Opera, have you seen, um, oh my God, The Devil's Carnival? I have not, and it is now on my list. Uh, there's two. There's The Devil's Carnival and then The Devil's Carnival something. Or I, all of a sudden, I can't remember the name of the sequel. Emily Autumn, I know for a fact, did and was in the first one. I think she did this. I know she did the second one. I don't know if she was in it. But it's got so many people in it that, like, would blow your mind. You ever watch the show Sons of Anarchy? Yes. Okay. Uh, Captain Unser? The cop? The old guy? Yes. Yeah. He's in that and apparently can sing? I wrote it down, but now I started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, it's so good. So, so good. And then um, the lead singer from Five Finger Death Punch has a solo in the first one. <sighs> It sounds so good. It is. It absolutely is. Watch it. It's amazing. Yeah, definitely. 100%. I'm just a musical trash band. I just want to watch <laughs> it all. But I don't like just like to watch it. I like to watch it and then learn it. And then when nobody's home, yes. I'm all alone. I replay it and sing it all with it. Yes. I am the same. <laughs> I'm a grown up and I can. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much for doing this interview, Matt. It's been so much fun. You are welcome. Thank you. I've had a blast. This is, I love doing these interviews so much. It never fails to be interesting. We get different tips every time. Everybody has a different outlook, which is why we really wanted to start doing this because like you can go online and look up, you know, new DM to, or, you know, I'm a new DM. What can I do? Give me some tips. And right. you always get the same tips and you get the same people, which mm. is phenomenal. You know, Matthew Mercer is amazing for a reason. You know, Colville is incredible for a reason, but right. you know, what about the guy who's been DMing for 15 plus years who has, you have 15 years of experience. <laughs> And so you know, we wanted to be able to find something where it's, you know, the new DM can listen to these and be like, oh, these are all actually really different than what the typical people, you know, yeah. what you can read online. Or if it's the old DM who just kind of wants to mix up their game, something that is different. And right. teams work really freaking hard on their stuff. Like, yes, oh, so much yes. work goes into them. <laughs> so thank you so much for doing this. You can watch... Uh, Clash of Quests every Saturday at 1900 UTC to see uh, six Forever DMs flounder and <laughs> make D&D so hard and feel all of the emotions because I have a feeling I'm going to cry in an episode soon. So oh, no. <laughs> thank you guys so much. Have a good night, morning, day, wherever you are. And don't forget... Nat ones are just as fun as Nat twenties. <laughs>